the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. And go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Hi, Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Happy Easter. So we are uh, Easter weekend. So we are uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna go there. Is that right? Are you? You prepared to go there for the next uh, probably hour? I don't see why not. If you wouldn't, if you wouldn't be here if you weren't prepared to go there. You know what I'm saying? So let's go there. New York Times published an article by Jack Turbin. Jack Turbin is a research fellow at the Yale School of Medicine. At the Yale School of Medicine, he lectures on the treatment of transgender and gender non-conforming youth. That's what it says at the bottom of this New York Times editorial. So I'm going to quote a lot of it here, just so so we can all be on the same page. Hannah is a 14-year-old girl clad in leggings and an oversized T-shirt with long brown hair that she curls around a finger. She was also born a boy. The government can't seem to decide whether it should affirm children like Hannah. Uh, time out. That's a word that we're going to talk about later. That's, that's the key word that I pick up out of this whole uh, editorial is the word affirm. You're going to hear it uh, a few times here. So the doctor goes on, talks about laws that the government's passed regarding transgender people, the bathrooms, blah, 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 stupid stuff. Politicians could learn something from the doctors who treat these patients. Over the past few years, it has become clear that if we support these children in their tr- children, in their transgender identities, instead of trying to change them, they thrive instead of struggling with anxiety and depression. No, it's not an either or choice necessarily. Hannah is using a puberty blocking implant and getting ready to embark on the path of developing a female body by starting estrogen treatment. 10 years ago, most doctors would have called this malpractice. But new data has now made it the protocol for thousands of American children. I feel around her bicep where a hard rod just beneath her skin releases a drug that turns off the brain cells that would otherwise kick off puberty. The implant has been in place for two years, preventing the process that would have deepened her voice 
and given her an Adam's apple. She has been happy with the blocker, but's ready, but is ready to move on. And then talks about how uh, now it's time to start estrogen, right? So the puberty blocking drug just stops puberty. But then now that she's 14, right? She started when this was 12. Now that she's 14 and all the girls around her are beginning to look more like girls. Now she wants estrogen treatment so that she can look like a girl like them. Okay, stop for a minute. Uh, I just want to make sure we're on this page. So I brought this up maybe a year or so ago, maybe two years ago for the first time. And now it's becoming much more prevalent and it's being advocated by some of the top doctors in the country, right? Here's a Yale doctor. And this is a Yale, not only a Yale doctor, but the doctor who teaches other Yale doctors about this. So this is going to become much more prevalent and it's only going to grow because the militant left is going to use the same tactics that they use to normalize gay marriage which is very simple. If you are a caring person, are you a caring person? You right now, you listen to this. Are you a caring person? Good. Of course you are. Uh, Then you'll support this. If you don't support this, then you're a Nazi. So just like gay marriage would have been inconceivable 20 years ago, you will see many kids who consider themselves, I'm saying many, I guarantee you, if not now already, uh, your kids, it depends how old your kids are, right? But will have transgender kids in their classroom. So in this story, we have Jonah, right? Jonah was born, a boy, feels like a girl. So when Jonah was 12, they inserted this, they inserted this device in his arm that releases a drug that blocks the brain cells that start puberty. Now she's 14. She wants to get estrogen to look more like a girl. Why? If you block puberty now, then it's easier to have gender affirming surgery when you get older because your genitalia has not been properly formed because you never went through puberty. Got it? So 10 years ago, This was malpractice. Today, protocol. Now, let me say one more thing before we move on. We did a segment a couple weeks ago about lobotomies in America. I think think in this hour, even. Lobotomies, Lobotomies were performed from the 1940s until 1967. Just 60, excuse me, just 50 years ago, a doctor would stick an ice pick Literally an ice pick. The first doctor who did it grabbed an ice pick from his kitchen. Stick stick an ice pick above your eye, jam it into the front of your brain, swirl it around, cutting off part of your brain from the other part. And they would do this to cure things from schizophrenia to migraines. This was performed until 1967 at the Mayo Clinic, at the VA. The press called it a miracle cure. I brought this up in the context of transgender treatment particularly among kids i don't care what you do when you're an adult whatever you want whatever floats your boat but among kids and what this doctor does because people get lobotomies for the same reason that parents do this puberty blocking stuff with their kids they do it for the exact same reason they're desperate they feel desperate they need a solution and they don't know what else to do imagine where you need to be in your life where the idea of sticking an ice pick into your brain Sounds like a solution. 
Where do you stick the ice pick? Above my eye? And you jam it into my brain? I'll do it. Same thing. What does it take, doctor? Make the pain go away for my transgender kid. I'll do anything. Yes, put it in his arm. Put it there. Put it in his arm. Block the puberty. It's fine. Whatever it takes to make this difficult thing go away. It's desperation. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it the right thing. I'm not talking about morally right. I'm just saying it doesn't even make it the, the right thing if you're desperate to do something. As I, This is the doctor. As I talk to Hannah, I can't help thinking how different things would have been just 10 years ago. So 10 years ago, if Jonah went into the doctors and said they have gender dysphoria, the doctors would have said, okay, well, let's avoid things that are more feminine, right? So avoid gymnastics, avoid dancing, go on more dates, like play dates with boys, right? Go do stuff, do boy stuff, boy stuff. Spend more time with adult males, have more adult male role models kind of thing. Quote, that that would have been the advice 10 years ago. Fortunately, most doctors no longer think this way. In 2012, a doctor from UC San Francisco proposed, quote, true gender, true gender self child therapy in which even the youngest children are allowed to explore their gender identity. So let me take a break here. So listen, this is happening. If you're a parent, you need to know because your kids are exposed to this right now. I was talking to a friend just a week ago, a week ago. And he said, uh, uh, in, a, in his kid's first grade class, there's a boy who started wearing a dress to school. Now, 10 years ago, everyone in society, doctors, psychologists, the teacher, other parents, the parents, the kids' parents would have been like, nope, boys wear pants and a shirt. You're dressing like this. But now it's, well, um, let, let, let him explore. Let him explore his gender identity. So where we are. All right. I want to wrap up this article next. one 888 Mike Slater Show, the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, so let's get back to this here. So this is, uh, again, Jonah, 12 years old, uh, at the age of 12. She, he, born boy, right, uh, started going through a non-medical, quote, social transition. So that meant changing her name, his name, from Jonah to Hannah, wearing girls' clothes, using a female pronoun. And this is, uh, this is the doctor, the Yale medical doctor. She went from the frustrated boy wearing a yarmulke to the bubbly child wearing a dress and joining the girls' bunk at summer camp. Critics point to a flawed study that suggests that roughly 80% of prepubescent children ultimately change their minds about being transgender. Of course, it's a, it's a flawed study if he disagrees with it, but if it's, a, if it's the right study, if he, if he agrees with it, then, oh, it's a great study. 
even if this were true, would it have been worth forcing Hannah to live as a boy, putting her at risk for depression and perhaps suicide? Though going, through, go, though going back to a boy's name and boy's clothes would probably be hard, even a small risk of suicide is scarier. Okay. Um, here's the deal. Let's, let's talk about this 80% thing. Jonah, at 10 years old, thinks he's a girl. 80% chance he'll grow out of it by the time he hits puberty, right? Or when he hits puberty, right? When you have puberty, you're a boy, you get a lot of testosterone, puts you in that different direction, right? You're more likely to grow. 80% chance that you'll grow out of it. But this doctor thinks it's better to block his puberty, prevent the physiological changes to a boy's body that might help him out of his gender dysphoria and confusion, block that, prevent that from happening, and then a couple years later, give him estrogen. So reverse what otherwise would naturally happen. Now, if you do nothing, 80% chance Jonah will grow out of this. If you do the medical procedure, 0% chance he'll do anything but ultimately transition into a girl, which of course doesn't actually make him a girl. It just makes him a boy with high levels of estrogen and even more deformed sex organs and even more depression and isolation. None of this actually makes him a girl. But does that make sense? Right? So if, if you do nothing, 80% chance you'll grow out of it. If you do this medical intervention, then a 0% chance you'll grow out of it. 0% because you are medically intervening. There's no going back at this point. All right, last line. As Hannah goes through this process, I asked her mother what worries she has for the future. Does she fear for Hannah's safety, for her love life? Mom's answer, not as much as you might think. Hannah will probably spend her life in liberal northern cities. As her mother put it, the Amtrak corridor, quote, Hannah has had no problem so far. Do I worry about dating in the rare instances when she travels outside of our bubble? Yes, but I'm grateful that Hannah is growing up in a place like this, and I hope the world will make progress. So as long as she stays in New York City, uh, in the bubble, in the progressive bubble, she's fine. Uh, last paragraph. I hope so, too. Despite the turbulence in Washington, here in medicine... There is general agreement that we're moving in the right direction. When I first came to Yale in 2012, doctors told me puberty blockers were unethical. Classmates told me that if they had transgender children, they would, quote, raise them gay like normal kids. Try that sentence on for size. Classmates told me that if they had transgender children, they would raise them gay like normal kids. Raise them gay like normal kids. Now, Yale has a gender clinic that provides puberty blockers and hormones. Lectures on the treatment of transgender youth are part of the mandatory medical school curriculum. And I receive a steady flow of emails from students who want to dedicate their careers to helping these children. I will stop there. All right. So here, here we are. Do you see how things progress like that? Raise them gay like normal children. And now this is the, the next thing. So there's a couple. Let's talk about three things. The political, the philosophical, and the medical. The political motivation behind this is if you can destroy the concept of gender, which is the most obvious of all the fundamental truths, if you can destroy that 
truth, then no other truth can stand. Right? The foundational truth of life and existence and human survival is gender, sex, male and female. But if that truth can be relative, like male or female, if that can be relative, then what truth could ever be objective? Right? Think about that. What, what is more of a foundational truth than male and female? There, there is none. And I'd argue in many ways, most truths are based off of that one. So if you can tear that down, then nothing can stand. So that's the political motivation behind it. Philosophically, how does this happen? So this is a natural progression of the uh, progressive ideology where there's no such thing as truth. And it's all about feelings. So it's Jonah, Jonah, 10-year-old Joe, 10-year-old Jonah. How do you feel? I feel like a girl. Well, that settles it. Block your puberty, give them estrogen. Like, whoa. On college campuses, it's, it's I feel. That's I feel, therefore it is true. I, I feel offended, therefore I am a victim. Right, so it's the same, like, blah, blah, like kind of, whatever, you know. But with serious ramifications, and that leads to the medical. I think many, I think, I think the doctor, a lot of doctors like this person, I think they mean well. But when confronted with a difficult situation, which this definitely is, I don't mean to make light of it by any means, it's a very difficult situation. Instead of, it, in order to avoid the truth, they offer easy answers. Not that any of what Hannah's going through is easy. I don't blame Jonah, the little boy, little Hannah. I don't blame him at all. He doesn't. He's 12, 14 years old. I'm not saying any of this is easy, but it's not based on truth. The doctors involved are humans, and humans can be easily confused, and parents in crisis can be easily deceived. The kids attend. I don't know any better. The same desperation that makes look, makes suicide look like an answer leads to this, which is just as not not based on truth and love and and reality. Neither are an answer. There was a doctor who told parents of a kid with gender dysphoria, "Do you want a happy girl?" Or a dead boy. Okay, so the, the, their kid was a, born a boy thinking about wanting to be a girl. And the doctor says, do you want a happy girl or a dead boy? Meaning, if you don't, if you don't transition your son to a girl, he will commit suicide. He will be dead. And if you do transition him to a girl, he'll be super happy. So do you want a happy girl or a dead boy? Like, you, like that is wildly inappropriate to lay out, lay it out as if those are the only two options. But do you see how easy it is to be confused and deceived? Hmm. Science is often, often wrong. There's a story. Um, a Mayo Clinic did a study. It was just the other day where they they found patients who went to two different doctors so they went to a, they went they got a second opinion right so they went to a doctor got an opinion and then they went to another doctor and got an opinion the second doctor had the same diagnosis as the first doctor 
12% of the time. 88% of the time, they were different diagnoses for the same person. It is stunning how often science has been wrong in history. From simple things like the tectonic plates to a little more advanced things like hookworm to washing your hands before you deliver a baby, which doctors didn't do. And countless women died from infection because doctors never washed their hands. And the guy who suggested Semmelweis, the guy who suggested we wash our hands was excommunicated from medicine because of it, right? Like science is so often wrong. And medicine is so often wrong as well. I'm reading a book right now about the Wright brothers. And long story short, there was a bully in town who had a toothache and they gave him cocaine. The doctors gave him cocaine for the toothache and he took a baseball bat and he he jacked uh, Wilbur Wright over the face with it and almost killed him and prevented him from going to Yale, which ultimately he ended up doing the bicycle shop and being the first person to fly. But the point is, they get doctors just giving cocaine out to people. Medicine is often wrong. Lobotomy is another example. But people are desperate. But sociologically, how did this happen? That's what I want to talk about next. Mike Slater Show. Spread the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. All right. So... Why will transgenderism become uh, normal? They're going to take the same path as the the gay marriage movement. So after many recommendations, I picked up this book. It's called The Marketing of Evil. It's not about gay marriage. That's just a chapter. Uh, Chapter one, actually, deals with the gay lobby. And here's how it goes. So coming out of the AIDS epidemic, the story is about how quickly... Society went from a, a fear or a hatred or, or at least a not understanding of gay people to full-on acceptance so quickly. How did that happen? It started with two guys, Marshall Kirk and Hunter Madsen. These weren't just two bums. Kirk was a Harvard-educated researcher in neuropsychiatry, and Madsen had a doctorate in politics from Harvard and he was the expert on public persuasion tactics. So Kirk, he wrote an article in 1987 telling gay people that they need to get straights, as he called it, straight people, quote, to think that it, being gay, is just another thing with a shrug of their shoulders. And once you do that, your battle for legal and social rights is virtually won. So, you, so he's telling gay people, listen, you just got to get straight people to think that, eh, you know, whatever. Shrug their shoulders about it. And then you're in. So that was in 1987. Got a lot of feedback. 1989, he wrote a book. These two guys wrote a book called After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear and Hatred of Gays in the 90s. So there's four techniques that he talked about. Four specific techniques. This isn't after the fact. This isn't like, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to look at what happened and put it into four categories. This was before it happened, saying this is what we need to do from this point forward. First, normalize. Normalize homosexuality. I'm quoting from the book. In practical terms, that means that cocky leathermen, drag queens, and other words I can't say, should not appear in gay commercials and other public presentations. 
Instead, conventional young people, middle-aged women, and older folks of all races should be featured. Not to mention the parents and straight friends of gays. It, can, it cannot go without saying, incidentally, that groups on the farthest margins of acceptability, such as the North American Man-Boy Love Association, must play no part at all in, in our campaign. Suspected child molesters will never look like victims. Okay, so the first thing is to normalize homosexuality. That leads us to the second thing, victimize. Normalize, then victimize. So this was right after the, or right in the midst of, slash after the AIDS epidemic. And he said, listen, the goal here is instead of making gay people more isolated from society, we got to spin it to turn gay people into victims. Quote, I'm quoting from the book, as cynical as it may seem, AIDS gives us a chance to establish. So he even recognizes how like, as cynical as it may seem, AIDS gives us a chance to establish ourselves as a victimized minority legitimately deserving of America's special protection and care. How, given the horrid hand that AIDS has dealt us, dealt us, can we best play it? Right, so how can we spin AIDS into a positive? Well, easy, make us look like victims. So normalize and victimize. Third thing, isolate. Who? Christians. Turn Christians into, quote, hysterical backwoods preachers drooling with hate to a degree that looks both comical and deranged. So he goes through this, uh, like what an ad campaign, what a marketing campaign should look like in, in, this, in this regard. Quote, for example, for, so imagine a 30, if they were doing a 30 second commercial to promote gay rights, which I'll get to later. Um, that term I just used, gay rights. For example, for several seconds, an unctuous, so fat, a fat beady eyed Southern preacher is shown pounding the pulpit in rage against those perverted ab abominable creatures. While his tirade continues over the soundtrack, the picture switches to heart-rending photos of badly beaten persons or of gays who look decent, harmless, and likable. And then we cut back to the poisonous face of the preacher. The contrast speaks for itself. The effect is devastating normalize, victimize, isolate Christians, and then finally, born that way. That's the fourth thing. Quote, we argue that for all practical purposes, gays should be considered to have been born that way. Even though, these are not my words. These are, I, let me be clear too. This isn't, I'm not quoting from the, the conservative book. I'm quoting from After the Ball, How America Will Conquer Its Fear in the 90s, written in 1989 by two gay guys who wanted gay marriage, et cetera, right? This, this, this is their battle plan. We argue that for all practical purposes, gays should be considered to have been born gay, even though sexual orientation for most humans seems to be the product of complex interactions between innate predispositions and environmental factors during childhood and early adolescence. So he's like, just say you were born gay. Listen, we know that for most people, there's a, it's a combination. And I want to talk about that in a second too. It's a combination between you know, innate predispositions and environmental factors as you grow up. But to just to say you're gay, you're born that way. You're born that way. To suggest in public that homosexuality might be a choice is to open the can of worms and give the religious intransigence a stick to beat us with. So the idea is uh, if you say... 
it's a choice, then that means you can choose to not be gay. So you right, you can't ever make it a choice. It has to be born this way. Are you born this way or is it a choice? Oh, born this way, born this way, born this way. Don't ever say it's a choice. I'm born this way. So four distinct and purposeful efforts from the gay lobby, and it has worked like a charm. Worked like a charm in no time. Another thing is the gay rights that I mentioned. So this, the, they term, in this book is what coined this term. They said the word homosexual is too graphic. Too graphic. People get images in their mind. It's too sexual. Don't use that word. Instead, say gay. Okay, so now it's not homosexual, it's gay. And then make it about rights. Even though gay people have all the rights of everyone else, no one can be against denying rights to anyone, right? So if we act like this is a civil rights issue, like was for black people, even though gay people could always vote and ride public transportation and all that, right? But we're going to turn into an issue about rights. So it's gay rights. So all of this combined went from the AIDS epidemic to gay marriage being uh, legalized through the Supreme Court in three decades. That's stunning. I believe the same thing is going to be done with transgenderism in general. Transgender rights, you've already heard that term, but it's all the old techniques. They're victims. That's got to be the first thing. They're victims. This is why, and I've said this before, the, the gay lobby, they were done. They finished. Gay, gay rights, gay marriage is now legal in, in all 50 states according to the Supreme Court. So they were done. They finished. So they looked around. They're like, well, now what do we do? And that's when transgender bathrooms became a thing. They're literally looking to pick a fight because they had nothing else to do. They built up this whole infrastructure and then they finished and they're like, well, I'm do something else now. So that's where trans, the whole tra- that's why the transgenderism thing is like a thing all of a sudden. So why do they make up the bathroom problem in the first place? Transgender people have always gone to the bathroom. They've always used public bathrooms. It was never a thing. It was never an issue for anyone. It wasn't an issue for the transgender person. It wasn't an issue for any, uh, any other one else in the bathroom. Like no, no one ever had a problem with it, but the, they made it a thing. They picked a fight by making it a ordinance in Charlotte, uh, legalizing it, even though it was always like they did that so that a whole thing would happen. And then they could lift up transgender people's victims. You got to be a victim. If you want to fight for rights, you got to be a victim. They created victimhood. Then, of course, normalize it. Um, that's why there's TV shows about it. My wife picked up a parenting mag, or they mailed a parenting magazine to our house. It's just like an ads, basically. And we opened up the first, the first page. It was about transgenderism and transgender kids and how you need to blah, 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 all this stuff. It's like, well, what, 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 what is it? And again, if you're against it, then you're a backwoods preacher foaming at the mouth, Right? And then, of course, they were born that way. Which is why, to go back to the Yale doctor, you, they're not, they don't call it a sex change operation anymore. It's a gender-affirming operation. right? It's, it's all framed to get this person back to their birth gender. I was born this way. It's a gender-affirming operation. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. It's all just cycling back around with a different thing different topic, but same, same, same method. If it worked so good last go around, why change anything? I actually met with a, uh, transgender person the other day, went out to lunch with him. Uh, he called me up or he, he wrote me an email. So he was a guy. Now he's a girl, a woman. And he called me up or 
you know, male to female, they call it. And he sent me a super sweet email. I was like, hey, Slater, listen, I would just love to talk to you, tell you my story. He's super conservative. She is super conservative. Uh, like we agree on every political issue you can imagine. Gun, like super gun nut guy when he was a, a man. Uh, gun rights, constitution, voted for Trump, like whole thing. Uh, and we talked for like two hours and told me, uh, she told me his whole story. And it was all... Everything I just said there, uh, but particularly, particularly the born this way thing I was born this way. One eight 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 nine hundred thirty. but it's so complicated. It's not, you can't talk about the radio, but it's, 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 it's way too complicated, complex, but it's not that simple. Actually, you know what? Let's talk about it on the radio. I'll come back. I'll explain the, I'll explain the born this way debate. Let's chat about that. We'll get a few minutes when we come back. Uh, it's not, it's not that simple as it's funny. You know, the left, the progressives are always the people who are like, Oh, let's, uh, there's so much nuance. There's nuance. And, and, and it's conservatives usually who are like, no black or white, but here it's the progressives who are like born that way, done end of story. And I'm going to come back on the radio next and say like, well, there's actually a little more nuance to it than that. I'll explain that next Mike Slater show AM seven, or excuse me, uh, Mike Slater show on the blaze radio network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Eight 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 nine hundred thirty three ninety three. Mike Slater is on. This this topic deserves more than three and a half minutes, but let me give it a, a go. So the born this way argument. It's, it's the old nature versus nurture. It's what it is, right? So when arguments go back and forth, like this one often does nature versus nurture, it's hard to come down with a distinct answer one way or the other, because if it is, if it's hard to come down in a distinct answer one way or the other, it's probably because there's a third option. So the latest theory the one that I subscribe to is, and it's not even about being gay necessarily. I'm going to apply that to this model after, but just in general, the idea is that we are born with a rough draft, a rough draft. We have certain inclinations when we are born. That's nature, but nurture is the editing and rewriting process that goes on throughout your life. And certainly through your childhood, right? That's the nurture. So it's both. You're born with a nature, certain inclinations, but then there's a nurturing that takes place throughout the rest of your life. It's not one or the other. And only one or the other. It's clearly not obvious one one or the other. That That doesn't make any sense. So on the gay question, maybe you're born with an inclination towards that. That's your rough draft that you were born with. But that doesn't mean you have to act on it. Now, on the flip side, maybe you're not born with that inclination, but maybe you have a traumatic something when you're when you're a boy, right? Maybe you're you're assaulted when you're a young boy. So that's part of the rough draft, or that's part of the, the rewriting process that happens when you're growing up, that it can affect the original inclination that you were born with. I think this interpretation of it 
answers the question, why all of a sudden? Right? Like why all of a sudden in your kid's classroom are there transgender kids? I, did you know a transgender person growing up in your school? I knew none. None, none at all. I didn't even know. I didn't even heard of it. So it's not that there are more gay kids all of a sudden or transgender kids all of a sudden. It's that society is a part of this rewriting process. The society is a part of this editing and rewriting that rough draft that people are born with. And it's not even necessarily just making kids gay, but it is making boys more effeminate. There's no doubt about that. I'll share again. My, one of my wife's best friends is a kindergarten teacher in Tennessee. And randomly, like a couple months ago, I asked her what the biggest problem with kids is today. And she said, instantly, boys not being raised to be boys. She said, boys don't want to play outside. During recess, they don't want to play outside. They, they ask her if they can come inside to play. And she's like, no, you're a boy. Go run around. Our entire education system from K through 12 is designed for girls. Boys, sit there. Listen, don't fidget. Write down what I say. That's not generally how boys learn. And if a boy acts up, we punish them. We drug them. Boys in schools are seen as defective girls. Why are you so hyperactive? Here, take these pills. Act more like a girl. Sit, be still. I was at a friend's house. Uh, They have a granddaughter. She's like five. And we were over there with another set of friends who have a a little boy. It's like three. And we went in their backyard and the boy was there for the very first time. And as soon as he walked outside, he goes into the garden. He's climbing on the rocks. He's building a fort. And my friend, the grandpa goes, oh, our granddaughter has been here every week for five years and she's never been back there. But this boy's been here for two seconds and already he's building a fort in the... (laughs) So here I am. Like The fact that I have to prove that boys and girls are different shows how far we've strayed from the truth. My point is nature has a role, but nurture plays a huge role as well. So really, don't ignore culture. Set it. Set the culture in your home. Spread the word. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network.